Well, good morning. Wait, is it the morning still? It's 1130. Okay, we're still good. Okay, this is great. Uh, those of you that are in the room and also worshiping with us online, would you, if you're able to, would you stand up on your feet as we prepare to open the scriptures? We'll take the words of the Nicene Creed on our lips. We'll remember what it is that we believe, the story that we have been invited into. Say it with me, friends. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, He rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and His kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, with the Father and the Son. He is worshipped and glorified, and He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church, We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. If you believe that, say real loud. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, How many of you came to the skate night at Skate City on Thursday night? We got a strong contingent here this morning. Wasn't that fun? That was all Pastor Colin organizing that. Can we just give it up for Pastor Colin this morning? That was, I felt like that was an important night for us as a community. We learned a few things. Uh, number one, we learned that you, uh, New Life Easters, you are passionate skaters. That, and that was just incredible. I mean, this is like a new ministry strategy here. How are we going to reach the city for Jesus? We are going to skate them right into the kingdom is what we're going to do. The second thing that we learned is that um, Colin Stoddard, among the many things that he is and can do, This guy, he's like the second coming of Scott Hamilton or something. You should have seen him out there. It was incredible. We did learn a final thing, that Andrew Arndt should never try to be like Colin Stoddard at all. You guys, I tried, towards the end of it, I tried to like skate backwards, you know, like that whole thing. And I, yeah, I mean, I got like horizontal with the ground, landed flat on my back. I'm like fortunate to be here, I think, this morning. And so we're just so grateful for the healing power of the Lord this morning. Can I get an amen from somebody? We're in a series on the Lord's Prayer this morning, the Lord's Prayer as a template for thinking about uh, our own praying and also a template really for thinking more broadly about life in the kingdom and what it looks like. And so I opened the series a couple weeks ago by tackling that first line of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. And we said that that first line of the Lord's Prayer really does create a kind of cornerstone for a Christian vision of reality. It sort of sets the agenda for us. Those three sort of movements in that first line, the word our helps us remember that we never pray alone, that we always pray in community. We always pray in the great communion of saints in heaven and on earth. So our and then 
Father means that we're not just praying to some supreme deity, but we're praying to a God who loves us and who is looking out for us and who has never willed anything less than our complete good every second of our lives. That is our God. So it's our Father who art in heaven. And we said that that phrase, who art in heaven, when we pray that part of the Lord's Prayer, we're not talking to a God who's way out there somewhere in the cosmos, but in the biblical imagination, uh, heaven was really talking, it's really a way of talking about the immediate atmosphere surrounding our very bodies. It's our whole environment. So that when we say, our Father who art in heaven, we're addressing a God who's totally committed to us and who's closer to us than our very skin. And last week, Pastor Tim Shepard was here and he tackled that first petition of the Lord's Prayer, Hallowed be thy name. And it strikes me when I think about that line of the Lord's Prayer that what we're asking for is we're asking for God to reveal his name as holy, to sanctify his name in space and time. And when you think about it, really, that's the best thing that could happen to the world, isn't it? That in every square inch of the cosmos, if God sanctifies his name in that space, it also means that he sanctifies that space. And we live in a world that's very defiled and dirty. So for God to clean up his name in our world is also for God to clean up our world. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're starting to move towards the salvation of all things, aren't we? Now, this week I want to tackle those next two petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom, thy be done on as it. And so, Lord, that is what we're praying here. As we open the scriptures, we're asking that you would help us be mindful of the fact that we are part of the great communion of saints in heaven and on earth. We're part of the church. We pray that you would help us be mindful of the fact that you are our Father from before all things and after all things are concluded. You will be revealed as the Father throughout the cosmos. Help us remember that. Help us remember that you're near, that you're close to us. Sanctify your name in our midst and show us just who you are and just how you're calling us to be. We're calling upon you this morning to help us. We ask that you would make manifest your presence in this moment, that you would show yourself to be our teacher and our helper, the one who is not far but near, the one who wills good things for us. Grant that, we pray. We ask that the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. I love this line because it concludes really the first half of the Lord's Prayer. You can roughly divide the Lord's Prayer into halves. That first kind of opening lines really addresses God and his concerns, his kingdom. And then those last lines of the Lord's Prayer really pivot. They transition into the concrete needs of our own lives. And so I love that about the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're prioritizing something of God first, which is setting up a new context for us as we begin to think about the concrete needs of our daily lives. It is easy, I think, in our spirituality to kind of blow right by these lines of the Lord's Prayer. A funny story that I've told sometime happened to me years ago was I was leading a service as a young pastor, 26, 27, and I was leading a service with a close friend of mine, Nathan Phillips. Nathan was a worship leader and a senior pastor was out of town. I was the associate pastor, so I'm getting ready to preach. Nathan's going to lead worship, and we had this thing that we did in our worship services where after the third or fourth song, the way that our worship set always concluded was we always concluded with the Lord's Prayer. And most often it was the preacher who would do that. So worship leader would kind of finish up and he'd kind of look down at the preacher standing on the front row. Preacher would come up and lead the Lord's Prayer. Well, Nathan and I, we did a little huddle before the service and he said, listen, Andrew, there's a good chance that when I get to that part of the service, I'm going to lead the Lord's Prayer. Just like, let me have it. And I said, well, how am I going to know? He goes, I'll wave you off, you know. I go, okay, well, that sounds good to me. So we got to the end of the fourth song. And I'm not really sure where he's at in it. And so I start walking up to the stage and he's in full like worship leader mode at this point. I mean, like really like feeling the vibe, like so good. And so as I start walking towards the stage, he gives me this look, like waving me off completely. Stay there, preacher, right? I go, okay, he's got it. And so Nathan is in the middle of the whole thing and he goes, let's pray together as the Lord taught us. Say it with me, guys. Our Father who art in heaven. And the vibes are like so good. Our Father who art in heaven. And I can see as I'm standing on the front row that Nathan is like, there's like a moment of hesitation. And we didn't have the prayer up on the screen or anything. So there's no like prompt for him. And so he just like, right, oh, so what is the next line of the Lord's Prayer? And so our Father who art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. <laughs> and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And he played it off real cool. I'm not sure how many people in the congregation knew the difference. I was dying laughing on the front row. And when Nathan and I got together after the service to debrief, I mean, it was just it was complete hysteria. Because, of course, it's so like it was funny because it was a profound brain fart moment. But it was also funny because in some ways it is so telling of the way that we think about God, isn't it? Our Father who art in heaven, let me remind you that you exist for me, right? I'm hungry today. I've got some relationships that are a little murky today, so some forgiveness would be good. And help me not get into trouble today in Jesus' name. Amen. And we blow right by the great concerns of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's so typical of American Christianity, I think, that what we do is we try to fit God into our lives. And God is an all-powerful, supreme being that exists at our beck and call because we're so amazing. And you're so special and I'm so special. And what an honor it is for God to be part of our lives, right? And the Lord's Prayer, really the energy of it pushes in another direction, doesn't it? I would say it this way, that when we pray the words of the Lord's Prayer, it fixes an order of priority for us. That when we come into God's presence, the first thing that we're talking about is not what's going on in our lives, but we're talking about God's glory, God's kingdom, and God's will first, knowing that when we get that right, everything else follows. So the Lord's Prayer fixes an order of priority. God's glory, God's kingdom, God's will 
first, everything else follows. Now, right here, though, at this moment, I think that we flirt with a potentially profound uh, misunderstanding that has the capacity to undermine our whole understanding of the nature of the kingdom and our relationship with God. Because it can seem like when we say this, and I think that we would all agree with this, but it can seem like when we say this that what we're saying is that God is kind of a selfish, he's like the most powerful me-first being in the cosmos, right? And that if we're going to have a good time with God, we have to make sure that God gets his way first, right? And then after we've done, gotten done making sure that God gets his way first and that it's very clearly understood that God's first and we're second, then we can like ask for our things. You might remember, I don't know if your parents were like this when you were little, but um, uh, when I was little, I can remember some occasions where I was getting ready to have like some friends over or a friend over and my mom would say to me, you know, make sure that when your friend comes over that you let them play the games that they want to play first. So don't just impose your agenda on your friend, but ask them what they want to do. Ask them if there's any sports they want to play and all of that kind of thing, right? And so it's, just, it's a way of making your friend feel welcome in your space. And then after that, after that relationship has been set and everything's good, then you can like move on and you can do the stuff that you want to do. And that is the way that sometimes I think that we think about God, that God is like some all-powerful toddler that we're not going to have a good time with unless we go, hi, God, welcome to my house. What do you want to do today, right? And once God's kind of gotten his way, then we can like move on with it. And I don't think that that's the way that it actually is. I don't think that our desires and our needs exist in a competitive relationship with God's desires and God's dreams for the world. It's not a zero-sum game. The scripture invites us, I think, to imagine a situation in which God's name being hallowed, God's kingdom coming, and God's will being done is actually the best thing that could happen to any one of us in our personal lives. Here's a good example of this from the scriptures, I think, is from Isaiah chapter 2. Listen to what Isaiah says. In the last days, Isaiah is looking to the end of history here, and he says this, that in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. So here's the exaltation of the name of God, the hallowing of his name, the doing of his will, the accomplishment of the kingdom. All the nations will stream to it and many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations and he will settle disputes from many peoples and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob." Let us walk in the light of the Lord. So here is a situation in which God's name is being hallowed, God's kingdom is coming, and God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. And it happens to also be the best thing that could ever happen to the nations and the peoples of the earth. That all of the conflicts between them cease. That they beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war 
anymore. The great conflicts that rage among the nations are diminished. In fact, they're conquered at exactly the moment when God's name is hallowed, God's kingdom comes, God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Does that make sense? That the great needs of our world and the exaltation of the name of God are not competitive things, but they exist in a perfectly harmonious relationship, and they are realized at exactly the same time. Are you tracking with me this morning, brothers and sisters? Another good example from Isaiah chapter 65, a little later in Isaiah's prophecy, he looks again to the end of history and he says this, See, the Lord says, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they, be co- nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. And the sounds of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who doesn't live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. They will build houses and they will dwell in them. Have you ever had like a moment in your life, life where it felt like the thing that you were working really hard on and for, you couldn't enjoy because there was like futility in it? Isaiah looks to the end of history. He sees God's name being hallowed, God's kingdom come, God's will being done. And it looks like the absence of futility in our world. That's a good thing for us. They will build houses and they will dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat of their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands and they will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them before they call I will answer while they are still speaking. I will hear and the wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food and they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So what does it look like when God has his way on planet earth? It looks like us being able to build houses and live in them. It looks like us being able to plant vineyards and eat of their fruit. It looks like people living out the full length of their days. It looks like before we can even put requests on our lips, God is coming through on our behalf. It looks like the wolf lying down with the lamb and the lion and the serpent, all of God's creation, the disparate portions of God's creation, all of a sudden exist in this harmony. And Isaiah says, They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Brothers and sisters, when we call upon God to fulfill the hallowing of his name, to do his kingdom, to have his will accomplished, we're also, and just to the same extent, praying that the best things, put the next slide up on the screen, that the best things that could happen to any of us would happen for, for all of us. It is to pray that God's best and highest dreams for the world would come entirely to pass. Yay! <laughs> Do you know that God's dreams for our world 
are better than the highest dreams we could ever dream for our world. Do you know that? This is how Paul put it. He said, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or think, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus now and forevermore. That's what we're being invited into, a space where the heartbeat of God for the flourishing of our lives, the lives of our loved ones, the lives of our, na- the lives of our neighbors, even the lives of our enemies and people that we despise, that those highest and best dreams would be realized on earth just like they're already realized where? In heaven. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I thought about it last weekend when we were in Seattle. We were ministering at a church out there, a beautiful little church, Lake Taps Christian Church. And Mandy and I went out early Thursday. And then we came back Monday night, long weekend in the Seattle area. We'd never been in the Pacific Northwest before. Do we have any PNW folks in the house here? Right over there. Come on. That is a beautiful place to be from and even to live. It's just gorgeous. The mountains and the green, and it's just incredible. I was telling somebody that it was like, uh, I was born and raised in Wisconsin. I've lived in Colorado now for 12 years. It's like if Wisconsin and Colorado fell in love with each other and had a baby. That to me is like the Pacific Northwest. It's like all the best. And plus there's ocean. Like it's an amazing place. It's absolutely gorgeous. And we just loved every second of it. The scenery was beautiful. We didn't see one cloud the whole weekend. We got like the weekend of the decade out there. It's just absolutely amazing. And we went down to the public market and the fish there and all the interesting food and the smells and like flowers, unlike any flowers I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely brilliant. And these little art galleries everywhere. And just it's such a cool city. And also... As I walked around the city over the weekend, I just couldn't help but think, man, like this last year, this city took a pounding from this last year, you know? Businesses boarded up all over the downtown area and homeless people everywhere. And you just think with all that's happened in our country, here is like, here is like this beautiful city that in so many ways is suffering in a really severe way. And we, um, we had this nice uh, hotel, stayed in a nice hotel in downtown, 40th floor, Beautiful, like, picture of Mount Rainier in the background. In the mornings when we were there, I'd sit kind of in the window. Some of you might have seen the pictures on social media. I'd sit in the window and just enjoy the sunlight. And I'm thinking about this city that's so gorgeous. And what are the prayers that I'm praying over this city, over Seattle? Saying, Lord, in this place where there's so much beauty and there's also so much pain and there's so much degradation that's threaded right throughout that beauty, I'm saying, Lord Jesus, hallow your name in Seattle, Washington. Let your kingdom come here. Let your will be done here, right here, right now, just like it's done in heaven. But all these folks that are sleeping on the streets and tucked away in tents, and we're asking, Lord Jesus, that all people that call this place home that they would flourish in exactly the way that you intend them to flourish. So Jesus, we're asking that you would appoint people to positions of leadership here that are good people, wise people, responsible people, 
Not ideologues that'll drive this place into some crazy dream of theirs for the future, but good, sensible, sound, thinking people that will help lead, that will help make the kinds of decisions that lead to the flourishing of all people. Would you do that here? Because apparently Isaiah thinks, and apparently the rest of the scripture thinks, that when your name is hallowed and your kingdom comes and your will is done, that that's the best thing that could happen. So we pray that your dreams for this city would be realized right here, just like it's done in heaven. That's, that's how I'm praying for that city. That's how we're called to pray for everything in our lives. I thought about it this week as I was watching the trial of Derek Chauvin up in Minneapolis and thinking about how symbolic that moment has become, that thing had become in our country. And thinking about, oh, thinking about how much meaning is freighted, was freighted, is freighted in that trial, and also thinking that there are real lives that are at stake in all of this. And thinking about how I wasn't there in Minneapolis the day that George Floyd was murdered. And thinking about how I'm not in the courtroom and I wasn't asked to be a juror and I don't see all the facts and I don't know everything, but I know that this is a thing that's very painful and I know that it's a symbolic thing in the midst of race relationships in our country. And so you ask, Andrew, how were you praying over the trial of George Floyd or the trial of Derek Chauvin and the murder of George Floyd? I'll tell you exactly how I was praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallow your name in that courtroom. Your kingdom come. Your will, your highest and best dreams be done in Minneapolis and in this country just like they're done in heaven. And give all of those that are involved in this trial their daily bread. And forgive them their trespasses as they forgive those that trespass against them. And lead them not, keep them far from every temptation. Every deceit of mind, every pressure that's not from you, keep them free from temptation and deliver them from the evil one. For yours, O oh God, is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever. That's how I prayed over that trial. And when the verdict came down, just in perfect honesty, I breathed such a sigh of relief over that. A sigh of relief for and with my black and brown brothers and sisters, knowing how important that was for them. And also a sigh of relief that was a sort of surrender into the hands of God. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. You say, was justice perfectly administered in Minneapolis? No, because it never is on this side of the kingdom. It never is. So the prayer that I was praying during the trial is the same as the prayer that I'm praying after the trial. It's a step on the way to the kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let this be one moment on the way to the kingdom. And I also know, so aware, that there are others in our country and others even in this congregation that you were hoping that the trial went a different way. And I thought about that all this week. What does this prayer call us to pray when we're even in a divided space with one another? If we're baptized the prayer calls us to pray the exact same thing. Even if you're on the other side of this, even if you were hoping the trial would go a different direction, still, what are you called to pray? 
hallow your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth just like it's done in heaven. And what are you called to pray on the other side of it? The same thing. See, guys, part of what is going on here when we're praying the Lord's Prayer is that we're coming before the God who sees all, who knows all, and who knows what's best for our world. We're coming before Him and we're offering up our ideas and our thoughts about what's best, but we're saying, God, we lay those down at Your feet. I think maybe it should go like this, or I think maybe it should turn out like this, but I don't know everything and I don't see everything and you see deeper and farther and wider than I ever could. So what I'm doing then is I'm taking my earnest pleas and my earnest desires and my highest hopes and wishes for humanity and for the world that I live in and I'm offering them up to you. And I'm saying, let your strength prevail. Let your wisdom prevail. Let your compassion prevail not just for one group against another group, but for all people. How am I praying for Derek Chauvin? How am I praying for his family? How am I praying for law enforcement in our country? I'll tell you exactly how I'm praying. Hallow your name. Your kingdom come to Derek's family. Your kingdom come to them. To local law enforcement everywhere. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us what we need today, oh God. Forgive us for our sins and our impositions on you. Things that we do out of ignorance and things that we do out of malice. Things that we do because we are not yet as we ought to be. Forgive us for those things. Keep us far from temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. To pray that prayer is to empty ourselves into the will of God. And it's just to the extent that we empty ourselves into the will of God, we're also joining up with the will of God. We're making ourselves, by our prayers, conduits of the will of God. And when we pray in this way, then we never have to worry about whether we're being effective in prayer. Somebody asked me that recently. Andrew, how do you know? You know, like in your prayer life, as you're growing, blah, blah, blah. How do you know if your prayers are becoming more effective, you know? And this, the, the question struck me in such a funny way because I thought, I haven't thought about that issue in such a long time. You know, I used to worry about it a lot. You know, I pray for this and uh, does it come, is, did it come to pass or not? I don't know. You know, how often are my prayers being answered? 8% of the time, 10% of the time, like what really is effectiveness? 15%, 20%, like how do you know? And I think what I've come to see as I've journeyed with Jesus is that you only really ever worry whether your prayers are effective if you're not quite praying in accordance with the will of God. So if I'm praying like, Lord, help me get that promotion at work that I think is good for my life and help me make $200,000 by the end of the year and help this thing turn exactly the way that I want it to turn. And oh, by the way, a Lamborghini would be nice too. Maybe then when I'm praying consumeristic American prayers, maybe I need to worry about whether or not I'm being effective. But if I'm praying prayers that are in accordance with the will of God, I never have to worry about whether or not my prayers are effective. Because what I'm doing is I'm joining the great stream, the river of God's intent for humanity. It's when we're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're joining up with what God desires. I think about it when I pray for the people that I'm closest to in my life, when I pray for Mandy, when I pray for Ethan and Gabe and Bella and Liam, when I pray for Pastor Brady and my colleagues 
at work. You know what I'm not praying over everybody? I'm not praying, Lord, make us super duper successful and, uh, you know, help us be the richest people on the planet and help us become really popular and amazing. And I'm not praying dumb prayers like that. (laughs) I'm praying over the people that I'm close to. I'm saying, Lord, in Mandy's life, sanctify your name. In Ethan's life, Lord, would you come with your kingdom? In Gabe and Bella and Liam's life, would you every good purpose and plan of yours, would you do your will in them just like it's done in heaven? And what also is inside of that little box, the kingdom coming and the will of God being done? I'm praying over all of my colleagues. I'm praying, Lord Jesus, would you anchor us all in you? Would you keep us rooted and planted in Christ Jesus? Would you fill us from the head to the toe with your Holy Spirit so that we bring forth the fruit of the Holy Spirit in all that we say, in all that we do? Would you convince us that you are for us and not against us? Would you help us live radiant with the love of God? Would righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit be ours because that is what you intend for us? And when I pray those prayers, then it's opening my eyes to the ways in which God is doing that around me. And I spot it all the time. I go, look, there it is. When joy happens in our family or when I'm discovering that my kids are surrendering to the will of God or when I'm seeing my colleagues full of the Holy Spirit and God moving in our church, I go, what I'm doing is I'm connecting with the many ways in which God is trying to bring his kingdom to fruition in our midst. Are you with me this morning? This is how we're called to pray. But there's one final wrinkle here, and that's this, that whoever prays this prayer Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whoever is praying that prayer is also making themselves available to God as a conduit, a channel through which the will of God is accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. That we can't just pray about it for those people out there or for those situations out there. But what we're doing when we're praying is we're saying, let the first landing place of this prayer be me. Cut a channel for your will in the world through me. Listen to how the psalmist said it. Psalm 40 and verse 6, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Isn't that good? That what God is doing in us personally is he's opening up ears in us to hear his will. Burn offerings and sin offerings you didn't require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do what? Your will, my God, for your law is within my heart. That's what we're doing when we're praying the Lord's Prayer. Is we're not just saying do it out there, but we're saying do it in here. Make me the kind of person that looks like the doing of your will, which by the way, we see perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ, who said, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus is the one human being among us who does perfectly the will of God. And what we learn, if that is true, then what we learn of the life of Jesus and what we then learn about our own experiences is that there are times when what we desire for our lives, what we desire for our future, and what God is intending for our future, they come into conflict. And at that moment, 
The question is, what will we do? Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but, but as you will. Jesus fulfills his own prayer. Even when what he desired and what it seemed like God was so evidently doing came into conflict, what does Jesus do? He surrenders to the will of God. Verse 42, he went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And Matthew says that later on that same night, he prayed the same prayer a third time. Not my will, but yours be done. Done, And we are those who have come to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, which means that Christ Jesus himself, who gave himself in obedience to the will of God, he's living his life through us. And I know that there are some of you that are here this morning that it feels like life has narrowed down to a single decision. And it's not the thing that you would have chosen for yourself. And it's not the path that you would have chosen for yourself. And it feels like you have no other options. And I'm telling you in this moment, your call is to, re- to surrender yourself to the will of God, to let Christ Jesus triumph in you. And just to the extent that you do that, I'm telling you, salvation is breaking into the world. And he's in you. He's in you. The one who prayed that prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane right now is strengthening you to do the will of God all the way to the end. Can we stand this morning and prepare our hearts for communion? When we come to the table of the Lord, what we are doing is we're opening ourselves up again for the Christ life to be planted in us so that we can do perfectly the will of God. And so, Lord Jesus, here we are. We come before you with our highest hopes and dreams and expectations for our lives. We come also to you this morning with all of those places in which it feels like the road has narrowed down and there is one decision that's in front of us. And what we are asking this morning is that you would have your way in us. That you'd give us strength, that you'd give us courage, that you'd give us clear-mindedness to see what you're calling us to do and be, and then to do the will of God. Would you incarnate your will in our lives so that we're a radiant example of all that you desire for the world? And as we prepare our hearts for communion... We're going to pray the prayer that you taught us to pray. Say it with me, family. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. If you agree with that, say amen. We're going to sing this song in response and Pastor Colin is going to lead us to the table.
trading your crown for a cross you willingly die your innocent life pay the cost counting your status as nothing the king of all kings came to serve washing my feet covering up your hearts it is right to give thanks to the Lord our God 
Would you do that right now? Would you give the Lord thanks for everything that he has done in your life, or that he is at work in your heart now? Come on, give him thanks, church. Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you proclaim the mystery of our faith? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Until then, Jesus, have your way. Your will be done. In the relationships that we're asking for you to change, Lord, your will be done. God, in our finances, your will be done. In our families, your will be done. In this church, your will be done. Brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let's receive the bread together. Would you receive the cup together? Let's respond in singing. reminded of one of the benedictions from the New Testament. May the Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of that sheep, the benediction goes, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in you what is pleasing to him through Christ Jesus. So would you open your hands and receive this benediction as you go, as you go from this place. I'm praying that that would be so over you. And that the Lord would bless you and keep you. That he would cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That the Lord would turn his face towards you and give you peace. That you'd be carriers and doers of the will of God. That you would be walking incarnations of the kingdom of God in the earth. Do that over my brothers and sisters, I pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm going to call our altar ministry forward this morning. If you need prayer for anything, we would love to pray with you. Remember, if you're new to our community, we've got a gift for you at Connect Central. You're beautiful, New Life East, and you're loved. Enjoy the good weather this afternoon. Did I hear that more bad weather is coming this week or something? I don't know. Come on, Colorado. We need you. All right. You're loved. We'll see you next week.